But let's do this. Let's pray. And then, uh, then I'm going to ask you to be seated. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we are so thankful, God, that we don't have to wait till glory to worship you and sing praises to your name. But God, right now, Father, I felt it already in this building that your presence is here. Father, that you are among us. And so, Father, I pray that we don't waste precious days and minutes and hours worshiping anything other than you. And Lord, I pray right now you would use me, anoint me, fill me to be used for your purpose this morning. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Go ahead and and have a seat. We're going to be in uh, the the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. So if you want to have your Bibles primed and ready, that's where we'll be this morning. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. I want to ask a few questions. Has anybody ever heard somebody say, the Bible says, don't judge? Anybody? Anybody? Um, And usually when they say it, it's with attitude. You can't judge me. A lot of times they follow it up with, only God can judge me. At what point I want to say, and you should be terrified. Like that should scare you. But you can't judge me. Let me ask you, has anybody in this place or out there at Fairview, have you ever been judged wrongly? Somebody make a a, a bad assumption about you. Somebody just think they know everything about you from one interaction, or maybe they've never even met or talked to you before, but yet they think they got you figured out. Anybody ever been judged wrongly before? I've been judged wrongly. Um, You know, us pastors are not immune from judgment. Did you know that? Did you know that? Um... Matter of fact, there was an association meeting a few years ago uh, in our local area where they were making some accusations about me, not by calling me out by name, but just saying the youth pastor at Temple don't want to do anything with any other churches. At which point, one of my friends stood up and said, actually, we have a few events planned with them here in the future, and there's some other churches joining up, and we're doing some stuff this summer as well. And it shut up real quick. But they think they had me all figured out. They, they judged wrongly. And uh, I just wonder, what are we going to do with the verse that says don't judge? Because it's in there. It is in there. So, so how do we interpret that? What do we do with that verse? How do we put it in context? And so, because uh, a lot of people will use that to, to kind of argue their case. I don't like Christians because they're so judgmental. They're so narrow-minded. They're so hypocritical. I don't like Christians. And the Bible says don't judge, but they just judge anywhere. So, so if the Bible says don't judge, does that mean a teacher cannot give an A or a C? Because who are they to judge what is an acceptable grade, right? Who are they to judge? Can a coach not pull the player from the game uh, and make that judgment call because the player is not uh, playing up to the level he should? How dare that coach make a judgment on my athletic abilities, right? Or how do we, what about, what about a jury? Can a jury decide who is innocent or guilty? Who are they to judge my motives and my intentions? So what do we do? Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, or the speck, sawdust, something small? Why are you looking at the mote in your brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? 
Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and thou shalt thou clearly, uh, and then thou, uh, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. How can we judge? Are, are we saying that we can't even judge someone's haircuts? Maybe you have a friend that has a really goofy looking haircut <laughs> right now, and they took it upon themselves to maybe cut their own bangs. Maybe you're sitting right next to them right now. Don't even look at them. Just look forward. All right, we're not even going to acknowledge it. But maybe they're looking something like this. We can't make any judgment calls on that. We can't say, you look stupid. What, what, about, what about if it's your own kid that wants to shave maybe a bad word in their head? Are you supposed to speak into that? Or are we not supposed to judge? Maybe, maybe, how do we, what do we do? What do we do if there's a coworker? That's very flirty. And uh, you don't really know him very well, but he's a go- he works at your place and he's really flirty, but he's also married. Do we say anything to that coworker? What if, what if culture tells us that anybody can have sex with anybody as long as it's consensual and we're supposed to be okay with it? But now there's petitions saying it should be okay for grown men to have relations with children. Do we say anything about that? I mean, where, where does the line stop? You see how important it is that we get this right? You see how important? We need to be able to know what does the Bible mean when it says don't judge? And so here's what I want to make very clear. I believe Jesus is not telling us that we should not live with discernment. I believe we have the right to speak into situations. I believe we have the right to speak life into other people. I believe we can call a spade a spade and a sin a sin. I believe we have that right. I believe the cross and, and the Bible does not dismiss us from that. But I believe God has given us some principles on how to do it correctly. Does that make sense? And so uh, this morning, that is kind of my, uh, my, my thrust. My, my main point is to try to help us understand if we are to judge correctly, what does that look like? What does that look like? So uh, I hope you got your notes. Uh, so we're going to dive right in. Here's some principles I believe that Jesus has given us when it comes to judging others. Number one, never judge hastily. Never judge hastily. You can put superficially if you want to, but never judge hastily. I want us to read John chapter 7, verse 24. So we're going to throw it up here. John chapter 7, verse 24. And, and I want you to see what it says. It says, judge not according to the appearance, the outside, but judge righteous judgment. In other, in other words, judge correctly. Don't judge on the appearance. Here's what I've come to understand. A lot of us Christians have the spiritual gift of judging by appearance only. We do. Look at that tattoo. I bet he's been in jail. Look at all her piercings. I bet she does drugs. Oh, she changed her hair color. She's out looking for a man. (laughs) We do this, don't we? Hey, he bought a new car again. I bet he don't even tithe. (laughs) Appearance only. And we're good at it. If we're judging, here's the thing. Appearance means we're judging from a distance. And it's easy to throw rocks from a distance. 
And it's easy to make criticisms from a distance. This is why Facebook is so terrible. Because everybody feels like they're some kind of warrior on Facebook. And you can type and post anything you want because you're at a distance. You can make all the criticism and judgments about this and that and whatever from a distance. But, but here's the danger of judging by appearance only. Here's the danger of making hasty judgments. Uh, a or B or whatever you got. Number one. I don't know how it's laid out. I'm sorry. All right. A. We don't know all the facts. We don't know why a person is acting the way they're acting. Maybe they had a terrible childhood. Maybe they just got fired. Maybe they're dealing with some undiagnosed depression or anxiety. Maybe their marriage is on the rocks. Maybe this is not how they normally act out, but you've caught them on a bad day and you don't know all the facts. I I, I want you to understand when the Jewish people talked about showing mercy to people, you know the saying, it says, uh, walk a mile in their shoes. The Jewish people would say, put on their skin. That sounds a little bit more morbid, but I like it. Because how did God show us mercy? He put on our skin, to walk among us, to show us mercy. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8, it says, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, being made in likeness of men, and being found in fashion of his man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the cross, or became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He took on the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. He put on flesh to walk among us and to show us mercy, right? Do you know there's such things as generational poverty? Great-grandma was poor. Grandma was poor. Mom was poor. Now I'm poor. They don't know how to break the cycle. But from a distance, we'll say, they're lazy, From a distance, we'll say, get a job. Why are you on welfare? Why do you have food stamps? Why do you know their situation? Do you know all the facts? And I think we spend more time throwing stones than we actually do get to knowing people. And I want us to understand. Let me give you an example. We took a college group to Jimmy Hell Mission in December. We partnered up with a couple other churches and we took a group to Jimmy Hell Mission. And they were nervous as cats in a room full of rocking chairs. They didn't know how they're going to engage these people. They didn't know what they're going to say. We were supposed to go and help feed them and and provide a meal for them. And then we were going to uh, spend time and we want to do a worship service with them. And we get there and they've already been fed. And so they're sitting there eating. And they're like, what do we do? What do we do? I'm like, go talk to them. What do I say? Hello? I mean, (laughs) my name is... I, I mean, we make it so hard. But they went into this mission and they sat down at these tables with these men. And began having conversations with them. And let me tell you, they didn't want to leave by the time it was over with. And this was the biggest takeaway that they had. They said, we're all one or two bad decisions from being in their same predicament. I wonder how many of us are one missed paycheck from being in that same predicament. Yet from a distance, they're drug addicts, drunks, crazy criminals. Up close, they're fathers, husbands. Uncles, nephews. I remember (laughs) um, last week, last week, I went out to eat with a friend of mine, Mr. Keelan Tucker. I don't know if he's in this room or not, but I went out to eat with Mr. Keelan Tucker. We went to Logan's. Probably should not have said that. Uh, 
I love Logan's. I really do. But this particular night, we had an issue. It was terrible service. Terrible. And you know, everybody's understaffed right now. Everybody's got issues. Everybody can't get anybody to work right now. And so I try to be so patient. I really, really do. And, and so the lady that came and sat us down, she brought me my water. And I was sipping on my water. Then Keelan shows up a little bit later. He orders a sweet tea. And uh, he, he'll go ahead and order his food. He got a salad. So they bring a salad out. And he's, he's eating some rolls. And he's drinking. Or he's eating his rolls, eating a salad. And he ain't got a sweet tea yet. I don't know if you try to eat two Logan's rolls without something to drink. But it'll about kill you. And he's, he's over there. And so I flagged down uh, Tim Barbie, our, our, our Fairview campus pastor. His son works there as a, as a bus boy. And I, his name's Elliot. And I flagged down Elliot. I said, hey, Elliot, come here, come here, come here, come here. I said, listen, buddy, I know you're not a waiter, but can you get my man some sweet tea? And so he went back there, got some sweet tea, brought it out. But here's what I'm trying to get to. Our waitress... She was very distracted. She had a large table over here, and she was kind of dealing with them, and they are giving her a hard time, and, and I saw her maybe three times the whole night. And I'm thinking, man, my flesh wanted to get angry. It really did. But something in my spirit was said, be patient. And so I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. When she comes to my table, I do this most waiters and waitresses anyways. They come to my table, bring me my food. I sit down, and I say, is there anything I can pray with you about? And I'm about to pray for my food. I said, when she comes out, I'm going to do that. She never brought me my food. Some other woman from the, from the kitchen brought me my food. I said, like, dadgummit. So, so I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. Finally, she comes to our table. And I look at her. And I don't even know if she's here today. She might. I don't know. Her name was Abigail. And I said, Abigail. I said, is something, is something wrong? I said, well, I wanted to pray with you earlier, but, but you weren't here to bring our food out. But... We don't have to pray over food. We can pray right now. I said, is there something I can pray with you about? And let me tell you, Miss Abigail began to cry crocodile tears at our table. And they were just falling. She's wiping. She said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, what's going on? She says, my little girl's sick. She's five months old. We don't know what's wrong with her. We keep bringing her to children's, and we're not getting any answers. And I just want her to feel better. And I just don't want to keep having to poke her and do all this stuff. I'm just... And I said, I looked at her and said, so your heart and your mind's 100 miles from this place, ain't it? She said, yeah. I said, what time do you work? She said, I get off at 11. She said, I'm trying to get off quicker than that, though. I want to go see my baby. So, if I was to judge from a distance, she would have been a terrible waitress who didn't care about her job, was probably out back smoking behind Logan's and hanging out with the kitchen crew, but up close, she was a grieving mother. Up close, she had a sick baby at home. You see the danger in throwing stones from a distance? We don't get to know all the facts from a distance. Here's another, here's another danger in judging hastily. We don't get to know the full person. Just because a person acts one way in front of you does not mean that's who they are all the time. What if somebody made a judgment about you when you were having a bad day and just decided that's their opinion about you from here on out? They caught you at the wrong time at the wrong place and they said, that dude right there is a jerk. But in all actuality, you was just in a bad mood. They caught you at the wrong time at the wrong place. You was maybe going through some stuff. Maybe, maybe some, the bank messed up something. They took out more money than they supposed to. Maybe your card, I don't know. But maybe you're just having a bad day with it. And they make a judgment on you. Just because you have seen a person act a certain way doesn't mean that's the whole person. Does that make sense? In one circumstances, they may seem unloving. In one set of circumstances, they may seem uncaring. 
But in a totally different set of circumstances, that same person might be the most compassionate person you ever met. One interaction, two interactions with a person does not dictate that's who they are. The person who grew up, listen, let me, listen to me, the person who grew up in a Christian home with Christian parents who love them knows nothing of the struggle about the person who grew up in an abusive home dealing with drug addicts. You have no idea the struggle. You can't relate. You don't know the full person. The fact is, <laughs> if we realize what some people have gone through and the way they have turned out in spite of that, we would be amazed. But we're so quick to make judgments just on what we know of one person from one interaction. A few years ago, in this church, I had an older man come to me, flag me down. Pastor Malcolm has told this story, but I'm the one who told him. He flagged me down. And uh, he said, Andrew, you got a teenager sitting over there wearing a hat. You need to go tell him to take that hat off. I said, okay. And so I looked around the corner. I saw who it was. And let me tell you, if this man understood what that teenager was going through, if they understood the struggle, if they understood how big a deal it was that they were even in the house that morning on a Sunday, if they understood the the mental struggle and the spiritual crisis they were in right then and there, he wouldn't have said jack about the hat. But all he saw was a hat-wearing teenager, and somebody needed to deal with it. And so guess what? I went and dealt with it. I went over there. I sat next to that person. I, I, I said, hey, it's so good seeing you this morning. I'm so proud you're here. I said, hey, if you want to sit with somebody, you can sit with me. Uh, I said, but I just want to let you know, it's been good seeing you. And then I walked away. And then I kept my eye on him like a hawk because if that old man got up, I would scissor kick him. I ain't even going to lie. <laughs> I would drop them. (laughs) I was looking after her because I understood the full person. I understood what they were going through. (laughs) You can't be fair-minded. See, you can't be fair-minded. What do I mean by that? If you're honest, everybody in this place, you have a certain prejudice or bias. Maybe it's a prejudice on... um, Ethnicity, skin color. Maybe it's a prejudice on political bias. If you voted for Biden, you ain't nothing but a socialist who hates America. If you voted for Trump, you ain't nothing but a racist and a bigot. I mean, it goes both sides, right? Everybody's got a bias. You got to be someone, and everybody's got a judgment or a criticism. And you might be thinking, no, I'm not, I'm not that way at all. Well, let me ask you, when you pull up to a red light and you see a homeless fellow sitting there, do you lock your door? Do you avoid eye contact? You know, here in in North Coleman, Alabama, there's not a whole lot of diversity, is there? But we're white as mayonnaise. I mean, we are. Let's just be honest. Put it on Front Street. But if you go to a place where there is some diversity, you go down to Birmingham, you go to Memphis, somewhere like that, do you feel uncomfortable when you're walking down a sidewalk and you see a person of color walking towards you? Do you try to go to the other side? Do you try to dart into a store real quick because you feel that you grab your purse a little tighter? What's happening? You got a little bit of un- you got a little bit of bias about you, and some of that is 
It's, 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 it's nurtured into us. It's what we grew up knowing. It's what we've been taught. And so a lot of us have to unpack and uneducate ourselves about that kind of stuff. But we have some, some bias about us. So sometimes it's hard to not, to, not to judge people because we're dealing with, with our own bias and prejudice. And it's hard to be fair-minded. You may lock your doors when you see the homeless man. You may make an assumption about when you see a mother smoking, pushing a stroller. You may make a, an assumption about a rich man driving a new car. We all have biases. We all look at people through different lenses. You see the danger here. This is what Jesus is trying to unpack for us. He says, judge not. And he's trying to make us understand we can't judge people because we're at a distance, because we don't know the full person, we don't know all the circumstances, and we have a bias about it. So what do we do? What do we do? Look at verses 3 through 5. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out thy moat out of thine own eye, and behold, a beam is in thy own. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. When Jesus spoke this to this crowd, they would have laughed. This would have been funny to them. He's, he's trying to be exaggerating. All right? He's exaggerating the point. How are you going to point out a speck in your brother's eye? You've got a two by four hanging out your own. Well, hey, let me get that for you. And people would have just laughed and rolled about it, but he's making a point here. What is he saying? He says this, before you look at their sin, you need to look at your own. We need to have the heart of David. When David wrote Psalm 139, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart and try me. He says, search me first, God. Jesus is not excusing us from having difficult conversations with people. He's not excusing us from having, uh, he's not excusing us from knowing what right and wrong is. He's not excusing us from calling a sin a sin. What he's saying is when we do this, we need to make sure that we're in the right place. So point number two, never judge hypocritically. Number one, never judge hastily. Number two, never judge hypocritically. Don't fix others before fixing yourself. Don't fix others before fixing. The reason why most Christians are considered hypocrites is because we expect others to live up to an expectation we can't live up to ourselves. We hold others to a standard that we can't even meet. Therefore, we are judging hypocritically. In Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul says, Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man. Whosoever thou art that judges, for when thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. He's saying, how can you judge someone else for you doing the same thing? How dare he do this? Aren't you doing it too? That's different. He says, verse 2, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. He says, so we know that people who are living in, in shameful, sinful ways, God is going to judge them. But verse 3 says, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? He's saying, so you think God's going to judge them, but he ain't going to judge you? <laughs> so here's the issue. When you start pointing fingers at others, make sure your, no- your nose is clean too. See, holding you accountable... Doesn't feel as bad as when you hold me accountable. Addressing your sin doesn't bother me as much as when you help dress, address my sin. And, 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 and a lot of times, this is what I've learned. This is what I learned. 
We accuse others, but we excuse ourselves. Let me say it again for the people in the balcony. We will accuse others, but we will excuse ourselves. Did you hear what she did? I cannot believe it. Well, didn't you do the same thing? Well, if you knew the whole story, if you knew my intentions, you would know it's not the same thing. We're very accusatory of other people, but we excuse our very actions the same way. Here's something else I've come to understand, and I've seen this true even in my own life. A lot of times, the place where you issue the harshest judgment is usually a place in your own life where there's the biggest weakness. And so we over-exaggerate things in other people's lives to try to hide it in our own life. Does that make sense? A lot of times... The biggest criticism we have for others is the biggest weakness in our own life. I'm sure you've seen it too. I remember years ago, I was a new believer and uh, young in the faith. And I was in a very strict church. Strict church, boy. Redback hymnals. Only listen to gospel quartets because they were God's anointed. Anybody else were goats in sheep's clothing. You know, we had to wear certain kind of attire on Sunday mornings. And women, you better wear them dresses. Boy, you put some kind of pantsuit on. What are you doing, old Jezebel? I mean, it was strict, boy, let me tell you. And I remember being in a youth group, our music pastor came in there, and he heard us singing a contemporary worship song by the, 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 the Antichrist named Chris Tomlin. He came in there, and he made sure we knew that we better not be singing any of those contemporary Christian music songs in this church. Yes, sir. Only to find out a couple months later that he was having multiple affairs with people in the church. And as a young man in the faith, having this person who I thought was supposed to be my spiritual leadership come and point fingers at me for worshiping the wrong way and yet find out he has been betraying his wife in the church for years. Fix yourself (laughs) before you try to go fix others. Do some surgery on your own soul before you try to do surgery on someone else's. See, we should never hold non, this is a big one too, this is a big one. Never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. You know what lost people are going to act like? Lost folk. You know what unbelievers are going to act like? An unbeliever. In other words, uh, this is what I want you to see. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I want you to turn there. So grab your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. I want you to see this. Just so you know, I'm not making stuff up. And Pastor Malcolm might be watching, so you might be checking too. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. Paul says this, For what I have I to do to judge them also that are without? He's saying without, so outside of the church, outside of the believers. Who, for what have I to do with judging them? Do not you judge them that are within? So he says, we aren't to judge them outside, we are to judge them that are on the inside. Let me paint a picture for you. In my house, I have rules. I have two children. We have rules, things that we can watch, things we can't watch. We have certain language we can and can't use. We have certain bedtimes. We have certain chores. We have rules in my house. I cannot come to your house 
and enforce my family rules onto your family, that wouldn't go very well, would it? No. See, in this church, we are part of the family of God. If you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have placed your trust in Him. You have now been entered into the family of God. And you might be thinking, well, I thought we was all God's children. (laughs) We are all God's creation. We are not all God's children. Only those who have placed faith in Christ are part of God's children. And so as God's children, we have family rules. And our rules come from the family handbook. And in his handbook, we know what is truth and what is not truth. We know what is right. We know how, do we, how we should handle our finances, how we should handle our children, how we should handle our marriage, how we should handle our business, how we should handle our friendships. How we, you see what I'm saying? This is the family handbook. We cannot go outside of the family and start forcing other people who are not part of the family to abide by our family handbook. It just doesn't flow. Here is what I want you to understand And if you're in this place right now, and you're out there at Fairview right now, you've never placed your faith and your hope in in Christ, I want you to understand, before you ever believe, you belong here. I want you to know, as you're on this journey, trying to figure out where you are, and and, and, and what, what does it mean to really know Christ, and as you're trying to figure things out, you may make some mistakes along the way. You may not quite behave the way that, that, that people think you should behave, but you're, I understand, hey, this is what I want you to know, that, that Jesus changed people in the middle of their mess. Jesus found people in the middle of their mess time and time and time again. He never told them to get out of the mess first. And and so here we got lost people in the middle of their mess and we're telling them, you need to get out your mess. They don't know how. And so the point is, I'm not called to change people outside the family of God. I'm called to love them and introduce them to the God who can change them, the very same God who changed me. I'm to introduce them with love and compassion and grace, bring them in and help introduce them to the God who can change anyone and everyone. All right. So, so let, me, let me tell you, let me flesh this out for you. There's a story I'm sure many of you are familiar with from, from John chapter 8, the woman at the well. Let me, let me back that up. Not the woman at the well. The woman caught in adultery. We was talking about the woman at the well a few days ago, so I got my women mixed up. Sorry. <laughs> Happens sometimes. Sometimes it does, Brother Willie. Uh, the woman caught in adultery, John chapter 8. These religious people bring this woman caught in the very act. Now, if you know anything about biblical culture and history, you know that's a big deal. Worthy of killing them on the spot. And they bring this woman, throw them down at the feet of Jesus and says, what should we do with her? Thinking they're going to get them. Jesus is in the scriptures. It says he's drawing in the sand. Now, there's been tons and tons of theories about what he's doing in the sand. Everybody's got a theory. What's he doing in the sand? Drawing. And everybody's got a theory. I got my own. I mean, it's not biblical, but it's my own theory. I believe he's writing the sins of everybody in that group right there. Riding them in the sand. That's my theory. It's not biblical. Don't preach it. All right. But he says, what do we do with this woman, Jesus? And Jesus, drawing in the sand, says, you without sin cast the first stone. And they get up and walk away, dropping their stones. Now, in my, in my mind's eye, I picture this woman down on her knees, just covered in sweat and her hair all in her face, is crying. She's muddy and she's dirty and she's just an emotional wreck. And she don't even know what's going on at this moment. She's ready at any moment to have rocks thrown at her until she's dead. And all these people walk away and Jesus is there left alone with this woman. He says to her, woman, where are thine accusers? 
And I can see her just pulling the hair out of her face, drying her eyes, looking around. There are none. And so he says to her, neither do I condemn, condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, here's what I've learned when it comes to reading Scripture. A lot of times words mean things, but a lot of times the order of words mean things too. He says, neither do I condemn thee, therefore go and sin no more. He said, I accept you before you ever change. I don't condemn you. You're in the middle of your mess. You are guilty. I receive you as you are, though, with the expectation that you'll go and change, that you'll go and sin no more. See, he brought her into the family first before he gave her the family rules. Do you see what I'm saying? How many times have we tried to put the family rules on people who ain't even in the family yet? And you know what that does? It keeps them out of the family. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me try to flesh this out even better for you. I'm going I'm I'm to have to mess up my notes for a second. That's okay. I feel like it should go here instead. John chapter 1, verse 14 and 17. John chapter 1, verse 14. All right, this is a section where John is saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, the same in the beginning with God. All right, so this is a whole section where he's explaining who Jesus is and the relationship with God and how he came into this world. And in John chapter 14, uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, uh, can we have this on the screen for a second? John chapter 1, you don't have it? Man! That's probably on me. I, actually, I probably didn't give it to him. That's okay. Turn to your Bibles, John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. Y'all need to see this. Fairview, get your Bibles. John chapter 1, verse 14. Like I said, I'm doing a little improv right here. Are y'all there? All right. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Look at this last little sentence here. It says, full of Grace and skip down to verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. Again, let me say this. I believe words have meaning in scriptures, but I also believe the orientation of those words have meaning as well. When Jesus came to people, he didn't come in truth first. He came in grace first. You know what the big deal is about that? If you go to someone with only truth, they will never receive the grace. You will repel them. You will send them the other direction. When you come to them in grace first and then present the truth, it's easier to receive the truth. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So, so here's what we need to do. When we go to people, we need to make sure we come to them in the same attitude and the mind of Christ. That we come in grace and truth. Grace first. So that now they can be able to receive the truth. Number three. Never leave a hurting soldier. So when people say don't judge me. They are only partly correct. Because the Bible actually says don't judge anyone unless you first cleanse yourself of all unrighteousness first. So Jesus is not excusing us from having difficult conversations. In particular with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not excused from having difficult... Have you, have you ever had to have a difficult conversation with someone because of something they've been doing? It's tough. But he wants us to do it with the right attitude and the right motivation so that we can do it in, in a way to restore them and rescue them. Put them back into the fellowship. 
In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. It says, brethren. Let me stop right there. Who's he talking to? The church. The the Christians, brothers and sisters. Brethren. If a man be overtaken in a fault. A fault is a sin, a failure, some kind of mistake. If a man be overtaken in a fault. He says, ye which are spiritual. You who are spiritual. Not you who are critical. You who are judgmental, you who are spiritual, he says, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. That means gentleness, kindness, compassion. He says this, he says, considering thyself, lest thou be tempted. He says, man, you could be the same way one day. He says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So our response to a someone in our church, in our family who has fallen, a brother or sister of Christ who's been, who's been fallen into a sin, ca- captivated by a failure, do we kick them while they're down? Do we, do we pray about them? Actually, do we gossip about them but call it prayer? Y'all need to pray for old Marty, man. I tell you, he done, he done got caught sneaking around with the secretary up there at work, man. Y'all just pray for him and Carol. I don't know if there's a Marty and Carol, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not trying to <laughs> expose anything. We all pray for old Marty, man. He done, he done got in there with that secretary and you know, him and Carol, man. They're, y'all just be praying for him. You're just trying to gossip. You don't care about Marty. You're just trying to gossip. No, what we do, we come alongside Marty. Marty, man, I know this is embarrassing for you. And I know this is a, this is a big deal. And my heart is that you and Carol will make it through this. I really do pray this. We'll re- restore your marriage. So I just need you to know, man, I'm here for you. I'm going to be praying with you. If you need someone to counsel with you and talk with you, I'd be more than glad to do that. Um, but, man, I, I just want you to know that, that you're in my prayers every day. And if, if Carol needs something, Carol can come talk to my wife. We want to be there for Carol just like we are for you, Marty. Gentleness, meekness, restoring them, helping carry their burden. I had a volunteer several years ago who... Uh, Got caught up making some lies about another one of my volunteers. And uh, to the point, to the point that I caught them making some fake text messages to try to substantiate their claims. It's a big deal. He showed me text messages saying, see, I told you. And then we did some research and found out the text messages were not genuine. He made them up. And uh, so the thing is, what he was trying to accuse the other one of was not really that big of a deal. Like, it probably would have sorted itself out eventually. And so his heart was good. He knew this was an issue, but he just wanted to get it done a little quicker, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. But it was still wrong nonetheless. And so I confronted him. My next step was to ask him to step down from the ministry. I said, right now, you don't need to be in the position you're in. I said, but here's what we're going to do. For the next three months, I want you to come and meet with me once a week. I said, we're going to work through this. We're going to read a book through this. We're going to, we're going to counsel with each other. And I, I, I just want to be here with you. And so also you need to go make, uh, 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 you need to repair that relationship with that other volunteer. You need to go apologize. Make that right. Okay. And then we're going to work through this. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. For three months, once a week, he was in my office. He went and made an apology to the person he offended, repaired that relationship, 
We worked through this, and at the end of the three months, I thought it was okay to place him back into that position he was already in at one time. Restore and rescue. Now, I understand there are some offenses where you will not be able to be restored into a leadership position in a church. I understand that. I understand that everybody's going to be able to get back into a pastoral position, a youth pastor position, given the offense. I'm clear about that, but that doesn't mean they have to leave the family. We can rescue and restore them and put them back in the family. Grace and truth. The problem is when we come to them all with truth, all we're doing is practicing legalism. When we come to them all with grace, then we're not doing anything but practicing progressivism and wokeism. We need grace and truth. The very same grace that drew you in, the very same gospel that changed you, that is the same grace we're to offer others. That is the same truth we're supposed to declare to others. And so here's a couple questions. All right. If you ever have to go to someone to have a difficult conversation, you've caught them in the act, you've done, something's been exposed about their life and you want to go at it with the right attitude, you need to ask yourself these four things. All right. You ready? And we're done. I'm going to breeze through them. So buckle up, buttercup. Before you go talk to someone, ask yourself, am I trying to catch them? In other words, do you get joy out of getting dirt on people? Do you like being the first to know something about somebody? You just get kind of like that euphoric, like, oh, I know. I know something. I got to tell you something. You can't tell nobody else. Do you enjoy that? There's, there's an episode uh, of, of, I'm going to lose some of y'all right now. That's okay. I watch a show called The Office. It is funny. And some of y'all were like, what's the office? And some of y'all are like, office is stupid. I don't care. I like it. All right. There's a character on there named Dwight. And Dwight is a very quirky, weird individual. And one of the things he said in one episode, he says, I like to whip open doors really fast to try to catch people. <laughs> he says, I just like to catch people doing something. I, rip, I open doors really fast. And I think sometimes that's how we are spiritually. We hope we can catch somebody doing something wrong. We get some kind of satisfaction in that. If that is your attitude, you have the wrong heart. You don't need to be talking to them. Are you trying to control them? That's number two. Are you trying to control them? Are you trying to be the morality police instead of letting the Holy Spirit do what he needs to do? Are you trying to guilt trip them? Are you trying to hold them accountable without them asking you to hold them accountable? You know what? Accountability has to be invited. You cannot force accountability on people. If you do that, you're going to push them away. And so if your attitude is, well, they just need somebody to guide them and and hold them accountable, did they ask you to? Because otherwise, you're going to be doing a lot more damage than good. So is your attitude you're just trying to babysit and be the morality police in their life? If If so, you might be doing it the wrong way. Number three, are you trying to crush them? Crush them. Are you trying to put guilt into their life so that they feel the depth of what they've done. If your granddaddy was alive, he'd be so upset with you. Why would we even say anything like that? Why do we say the things that we say sometimes? All right, I'm going to lose some of your support just now by, by making this statement. I have tattoos. Some of you right now are like, get them out of the pulpit. <laughs> the sacred ground. But I do. I have, I have two tattoos. I have one on my back. I have one on the back of my leg. The one on my back means absolutely nothing. I was 18 years old, walked into a, a, a beach shop tattoo place, and I said, that one. And, uh, and it's, it's a bird. Tracy hates it. She said, like, I wake up every morning, that stupid big bird. And uh, so <laughs> she, she hates it so much. 
The other one is on the back of my leg, and it's called the noon symbol. It's the it's Arabic letter N. And so years ago, when, when ISIS and other terrorist groups were, were, were coming and, and, and attacking Christians over in the Middle East, they were marking the businesses and homes of Christians with this symbol, the letter N, which they call Nazarenes. And so it's the Arabic N, and it's on the back of my leg. And uh, anyway, some people say it looks like a horseshoe and everything else. It's actually not very, really done well. But anyways, neither here nor there. Um, I've literally had people come up to me and tell me, you don't need to be in the ministry because you have a tattoo. Okay. I've had people come to me and tell me, it's the mark of the beast. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I'm so worried. Your role in Christian accountability is to bring awareness, not conviction. If you're trying to bring guilt onto someone else, then you're usurping the authority of the Holy Spirit in that individual's life. The Holy Spirit will bring a whole lot more conviction than you could ever bring. And only, the only conviction you will bring is superficial, and it will harm the relationship more than it will heal it. And so are you trying to crush the person? And lastly... Are you trying to cover them? Are you coming to them out of love? Out of consideration? Out of meekness? Gentleness and care? Are you saying, listen, I don't know how to talk about this, but I've been praying a whole lot. And I'm wanting to say the right things. And I don't want you to... I love you. And I know this is going on in your life. And I just want you to know that I'm here for everything and anything. If you need help, if you need someone to talk to, if you need someone to vent to, if you, need, if you have questions, I, I just want you to know I'm here for you. I'm gonna, I want to walk, uh, walk through this with you. If that's okay, I, I just want you to know that you have a friend. There's a young girl that um, years ago she was in my youth ministry, and I remember talking to her before she graduated. And I said, what are you going to do when you graduate? She looked me dead in the eyes. And she said, I'll probably just be a drug addict like my mama. I'm not hurt. But that's all she knew. A drug addict mama and a deadbeat dad. And then she was coming to church faithfully for a long time, doing some good things. And then she she ended up making some bad decisions. And a series of bad decisions. And she made a post not long ago that says, I just can't understand why Christians are so judgmental. When I need them the most, nobody is found. And it broke my heart. Because I knew what she had been through. And like I said earlier, if you understood what some people have been through, you would be amazed of how far they have come. And this girl, I was so proud of her for so long. And yes, she made some bad decisions. But she was just crying out for help. She's like, I just need somebody. And all she was finding was criticism and judgment. And I saw it. And I tried reaching out to her. And I tried to let her know there's people here that love you. But at this point, damage was done. And she just threw her hands up. And now she's further into that lifestyle more than ever. Grace and truth. Judge not, Scripture says. Why? Because... We need to do it the right way. 
So check your heart. Check your motives. Make sure you're doing it in grace and truth. Make sure that you're approaching them with all consideration and love. Don't do it out of hatred, bitterness. Don't do it out of revenge. Don't do it out of joy. Hey, 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 I got you now. No, grace and truth. 